All right, everybody, we're back for another episode of Let's Dig Into It interview series. And today I have an old friend, a way back in the day friend, Alex Bailey. We went to college together. And when did we graduate? 2012? Yeah, 2012. Long ass time ago. We go back. (laughs) Um, And so I've known Bailey for a long time and um, recently kind of came back to, to chatting it up chopping it up um and he is doing some big things down in texas um he is the founder and board president of a wonderful organization called black outside um and i wanted to let you know too bailey that my friend i was telling her about this interview i was like oh i got these two interviews coming up once with my friend bailey and he you know he formed this this organization called black outside and she was like Oh, I know that organization. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, damn. And she was like, oh, so you, you know, the, the founder. And I was like, yeah, what's school with him? So, you know, you do it. And that's up here. And, you know, like that was just the other day. That's people from up here. So y'all are out there. Dang, we national like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I take that as a compliment too, because like, I don't know, like I try to, we try to focus on the kids you know, in our social media and our marketing, we, you know, we'll highlight our leaders and stuff like that. People get awards and stuff, but we really try to focus on the kids. So I try to very much keep a low profile, you know that, right? (laughs) Low profile. I'm still like that from my college days and just really try to like amplify our kids in the outdoors. So that's, that's exciting, but that's dope. Dang, we're not, we're national. So we're making it big time. (laughs) Yes. And I'm, I'm excited for you for sure. And I think if you want to talk a little bit about yourself who you are where you're from don't you know I know where you're from don't get into the bangles or none of that like you know <laughs> calm down <laughs> I'm just yeah I won't. Um, I won't you know I'm ashamed of them so right now oh it's okay tough. it's like tough that. no I'm still a fan don't get it twisted I'm just ashamed it's just it's tough but um yeah so I mean you know this right like I'm, I'm my whole family's from actually from Mansfield Ohio a little small town you ever seen mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption movie was filmed in my home hometown yeah oh i didn't know that yeah at the end end, morgan freeman when he's walking through the city that's our downtown in mansfield that's the only thing we're known for and that prison is in our city so that's like two miles away from my granddaddy's house so yeah so that's where i'm originally from moved around a lot so it's funny like uh when you met me at at ohio the ohio wesleyan right oh woo as we (laughs) called it i would say oh i'm from virginia i'm kind of from all over i just went to high school uh out there so um but i think what you didn't know sam like some people knew this some people didn't is that during the summers when i was at owu in college i worked at a uh i worked at a sports camp uh way in new hampshire yeah i kind of i talked about a little bit here and there but not as much um and it was a super affluent bougie uh, sports camp in new hampshire and they recruited ncaa athletes because you know i played football right, um, to, like, coach sports up there, and so that experience transformed my, like, perspective of the outdoors. It planted a bunch of seeds, and it showed for me the power that the outdoors has on youth. Like, I knew nature was this beautiful place. I I never really hiked before. I camped a little bit and fished with my stepfather, and my uh, grandfather was a gardener, so I, I knew that connection, but I didn't know that the impact 
it could have on young people until I was working at that camp. So all throughout college, that was that was my side hustle. That's how I was able to come back to college with some money in my pocket, <laughs> right? I would work yeah. all my summers up there and literally um, those summers really transformed my life. But I think I left that experience. I thought so much about uh, my time volunteering in Columbus, Ohio with uh, Upward Bound. Remember mm-hmm. Trio? We had those programs, right? Yeah. yeah. I thought so much about those kids and I was like, man, like, why don't those kids have these same opportunities that these kids have in New Hampshire during the summer? Right. Um, and I always just kind of took that, stuck that in the back of my mind uh, and thought, man, if I could ever like build a camp for kids that look like me, I would love to do that. And from there, I'd say like, that's where black outside the seeds were planted. And then they finally came to fruition a couple of years ago. Yeah. I was, um, yeah, I did not know that, that you were doing that in your summers. Yeah. And I was like, dang, I really didn't think, like, knowing you and I back in school, like, I didn't really think either of us would be doing these things that we're doing. Like, I definitely was, like, not really feeling the birds, you know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm, okay, I'm not taking no ornithology classes. Um, and I was like, Bailey's going to be in politics. That's what I thought she's going to do. I know. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. And then it's just like, um, for me, not necessarily a big hard right turn, but for you, I feel like just, you know, of what, you know, of what I knew of you back in school. I was like, okay. And so when I found out that she was doing that, I was like, damn, that's so exciting because I love everything about Black Outside um, and what y'all do in your mission statements and now, and, and that y'all are like, like I said, y'all are national, like, you know, you're doing big things. And so, and I think it's so important, especially for black youth, you know, tell me just a little bit about like, okay, seeds were planted. And then how did that come about? And then tell me how long, I don't think I know how long Black Outside has been uh, officially a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. So the backtrack real quick for context. <laughs> I was, so back in the day, you know, in college, I was, I was fighting the power back then. I yes, was, you were. <laughs> I was like, let's talk about revolution. Let's up really? the system. Really? Let's like, let's tear this thing down. Like, I want funding for the Black Student Union. Like, right? Like, like we were really about that life back then. I know. And then I got to the classroom and I was like, ooh, this system is tough. Right? But I was trying to fight the power with my little ninth graders. They was like, man, we just trying to make it to the end of the year. I know. So, uh, yeah, so it was a pivot, but. You know, I, I want to talk for a second before I talk about Black Outside. Yeah. I think a lot about our college experience. So let me ask you this real quick. Did you ever like, did you ever go to that? There was that park that was near our campus. Um, I can't remember the name of it. You could walk like a little bit southeast, I think, of our campus. It had a big park and it had like a little river that ran through. A lot of people would like go there to like hang out. It wasn't mm-hmm. super far, like a half a mile. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go there? Not that I can remember, but Bailey, to be honest, I cannot remember most of my college experience. <laughs> hey, that's right. Hey, we started to get old, you know, we got to talk about it. No, that's real. So it's not sticking out to me, so I don't think so. All right, nah, I, I bring that up because I thought it was interesting. We talked about how, like, you know, you wasn't really in the burden and outdoors, and I thought about how, like, especially at OWU, I feel like we didn't have that many entry points as much to the outdoors, right? Like, there were outdoor spaces, but even that space, I didn't know this until like my junior year that like if you went into that park at night, anytime they had like a sensor around it and like they would trigger the police to come. So that happened to me twice. Like I was uh, I it was out, you know, college. Mm-hmm. I was out. And then I like so you, on the way back from the place that we used to um, used to go out to. <laughs> in college, I know. 
Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And hey, we had a few bars, a little uh-huh. bit. It wasn't a dance club. It was just a bar. But we had a dance way floor. back from the bars, right? Yeah. Uh, we would, uh, there was, you could go through that park and like as a sideway. So like a couple of times I was with a group of people and we went through there. And then the first time that happened, I was with one of my white friends and like the police came and I was like, you got to talk to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, you can't be here after dark. And then like a year later, I was like, ah, whatever. You know, you're in college. I yeah. did it. And then I remember the police came, came and I like, I was with two other people. We like had to hide because I was like, I didn't want to, you know, I just didn't want to try to deal with police at night. And yeah. you know, we had been out and stuff like that. And we wouldn't cause any trouble. We were just casually walking through the park. Right. But I think about like how that experience prevented me from thinking about the outdoors. Right. As like a place of just healing and joy or just fun or exploration. Or so is it, it's not even safe, you know right 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 it was in a safe space so it's unfortunate that I uh, that you know many of our potential entry points were kind of blocked off due to like space and place where we're at Mm -hmm. and also let's be real we just didn't have as much like as far as I know I mean there was no like outdoor programming right that we had compared to other schools that have like outdoor recreation groups and if they were were they as welcome into us as black students right and and were they like affordable because oh woo in general is so expensive our tuition was it 42 when I left was it 42 when we left something like yeah it was 36 when I started yeah and so it's really expensive and there's a lot of like affluent I think white people that went there Mm -hmm. and affluent international kids and so I think that you know for me I I went to school intending to leave with a zoology degree and Mm -hmm. wanted to work in zoos and so I did all of these science like science classes and that was like my entry point to outside like I remember um <laughs> they really tried it with me one <laughs> one oh. year for <laughs> <laughs> go ahead tell it go ahead tell it <laughs> really tried my ass with the shit and so like um I remember it was like a a field work class or whatever and we had to go out and and take data over um for these spiders and I they were orb spiders and so they're like this big oh no and the thing oh my god and the thing about them is that they weave their webs in between reeds that so it's at your face level and they were like oh "Oh, just go out and and walk and find them and I was like no no because you're gonna have a big ass spider in my face and I'm not I can't do that and so (laughs) that's what that is what my initial kind of introduction into outside was because like Cleveland where I'm from when I was growing up we I mean I liked to be outside but that was like my yard you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh my family's going for a camping trip this weekend or anything like that you know I came from a all-black suburb you know and so we didn't do that shit and so um yeah, science with all white people was my initial experience with like being outside. And so it was, a, it wasn't really that fun, but it, I definitely enjoyed it because I enjoyed learning, right? And so I was mm-hmm. definitely learning and having experience, but I wouldn't call it fun. You know what I mean? I wouldn't call it healing and I wouldn't call it mm-hmm. um, joyful. Like it didn't bring me joy in the way that it does now that I have this freedom around it, you know? And so, mm. um, yeah, it's, it, I've not thought about that. That's like, I, I, 
like when, like, honestly, like how Owu was kind of my initial thing into the outdoors. I haven't thought about that. So. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I remember one vivid experience I remember is I was in a science class. Right. So for context, you know, I was a history major. So I was, I stayed away from that science department. I was like, I took three science classes, did my three credits, and I was like, I'm out. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, those three science credits kicked my behind. <laughs> like, all three of them. I was in there studying. I remember it's studying hard. at the House of Black Culture some nights. I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to make it out this class. <laughs> yo, That's how I felt science every day. I'm like, yo, how do you do it? Because y'all are just like, this is wild. It's but all I can say, I took my junior year, I took a science a botany class that was a, a botany and you also got I think a sociology credit and it was about corn in Mexico so you I think you may remember this I, I got to travel to Mexico for spring break my junior year mm-hmm. um, and we got to hike through some of the pyramids when we were down there and that was like one of the first experience I had at Owu like with an Owu group where I felt like felt that outdoors as being a place of like fun and freedom and joy. And I just remember hiking with other students and it was just very liberating. And also just being in a place that has so much history. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, for me. So, yeah, I, I agree. It makes me think now about how, yeah, college can be such a place of potential access and entry for black folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get exposed to outdoor programming in a safe way, or it can be very detrimental to our outdoor experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, I went down that rabbit hole with that one. I know. <laughs> about about Owu. <laughs> There's so many things about Owu. I'm just like, damn, that was the whole last. I had a good time. I had a great time in college. Right. And I think, too, like the thing to tack on to that, um, and then we can move on away from Owu, because um, honestly, fuck them, you know, but <laughs> like, you know what I mean. But like the thing, the thing about Owu too is like for Black people specifically at that school, like I, and I don't want to, because we can get into it, but I don't want to get into it too much is like, yes, it can be a jump off kind of point for people um, to get that experience or to get that um, exposure to things that they didn't even know was like an option, you know, mm-hmm. but they got to make it through their first semester first as freshmen. And we, we lost so many freshmen, black kids, like throughout my, our whole four years that we were there. And it was just, it's something that I come back to a lot of when I think about and talk about racism and all this, you know, institutionalized shit every, every day, all day. I'm just like, damn, like the, the way that that played out and how many people you know you would get to know through the house black culture and all this stuff and come to really care about especially you know in in my senior year with all these these babies coming through and then they're gone you know and it's Mm -hmm. just and it's always money related you know and it just sucks it sucks so they have to make it through that first semester and that's just a whole different conversation about access and and availability and and really the issues within the the college system right yeah I feel you on that you know because I'll be open with you similarly I'm I mean yeah I don't feel super I'll be open I don't feel super proud to like be a Ohio Wesleyan alum not from the let's like I'm proud of the people I met for sure especially the black folks I met yes and definitely like some of my football teammates I still kick it with and chop it up with but like as an institution I, I really wish they, they could do so much better with supporting black students. Mm-hmm. And one example 
tying back to this whole outdoors is, you know, I following college, I did Teach for America. Mm-hmm. And I met, I had friends that went to Dartmouth. And Dartmouth, I don't know if you know this, they have this whole outdoor club thing. Like, it's like a big thing at Dartmouth to be outdoors. Um, and my understanding was that a lot of the incoming freshmen, they almost require you to go through some backpacking like trip when you get there. And then they like specialize it, especially for um, minority students, as they used to say, yeah. <laughs> students mm-hmm. of color, right? <laughs> <laughs> students, diverse students, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. the <laughs> right. right. And so they specialize it. So a lot, I've met two folks of color, alumni of color from Dartmouth, and they talked about how the outdoors, like that was a huge entry point for them of, yeah, they knew outside and stuff like that, but that was their first time camping and things like that. And how mm-hmm. much that was a bonding experience for them and propelled them forward as an anchor uh, for further years down the road. Like, okay, we feel super connected because of this deep outdoor experience. Um, even, you know, the author Latreya Graham wrote, writes for Outside Magazine. Mm-hmm. I'll have to send you her articles. Yeah. She's so dope. Please she went do. to Dartmouth and she talks about it in one of her articles uh, about that entry point of like doing the whole outdoor club. And then she even did like wilderness first responder certifications, the whole thing at Dartmouth, like they are about it. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder how, again, the outdoors is such an entry point for so many people and especially for young people, especially like in your teenage kind of 18, 19, you're trying to figure yourself out. Right. Um, and how that's a missed opportunity for, for Ohio Wesley and probably many other colleges yeah. across the country. Right. But part of that is because again, I don't think when they think black students, they probably don't think outdoors, right? They're like, oh, black students, let's make sure they can, we're going to play some jazz music and give them some nice food inside the atrium, right? I'm like, let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) So they're thinking about that. They're not necessarily thinking, how can we expand, right, their experiences, you know? And so I love what Dr. Caroline Finney, she said this on this last call we were on. She's like, I'm so tired of people putting our kids like we want to play in the sand, but stop putting our kids in a sandbox. Mm-hmm. Let our kids play on the beach. Right. And that's so real. Right. That is so real. And that's what kind of ties to black outside as as an entity. We're really trying to ensure our kids get exposed to like local nature, local gardening, but also state parks, national parks. We're flying kids to Colorado this summer. We try to do the full gambit uh, of outdoor activities. We don't believe in restricting them to right. one thing. Um, because that's that's really doing our students an injustice, our youth an injustice. It is. And I think too, like for so like for me, a personal story that that is outside of college and goes all the way back to elementary school was my sixth grade year. Um, and I also think about this experience a lot because it was my only experience outside um uh, through school. Um mm. and probably was my only experience at like a camp, right? Mm for my whole life right and so I they took us all again all black school sixth grade they was like we're gonna go (laughs) on a weekend trip uh, to this camp and it was during I think it was during like spring or something so it was empty so it was just us which was safe and I love that actually instead Mm. of putting us with a bunch of white kids you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um and so we all went all three classes you know we all went and I remember that idea of actually putting us out there, you know what I mean? In in the woods, in mm. cabins, in bunk beds. That was my first time in a cabin. That mm. was my first time in like 
shared lit like living in terms of like mm-hmm. you know and 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 it does it puts you in this mentality of of connection and for us because a lot of us had never done that before ever it had this second layer of connection of just like oh damn we finna do what in the mud now what you know yeah. and it was it was so much fun and I think at the end of it a lot of us was really like oh we're doing what outside you know what I mean and then at the end of it, we didn't want to go. Um, and so I think that that's why a, 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 an organization like Black Outside, specifically for Black kids, <laughs> mm-hmm. is so important because it, it it gets more of that opportunity and exposure at that age where it allows you or whoever to kind of really have a better understanding of yourself, what you like, Mm -hmm. what you don't like. Mm -hmm. And then I think you have more ability to choose and control your life later and what Mm. you do. Cause I feel like without that exposure, what are you actually choosing? You know, if you don't have all the knowledge to make the right choice for yourself, then you're having to like unlearn and relearn later on in life adulthood you're having these these kind of aha moments later which is Mm -hmm. fine um but we could all be set up for success so much earlier in our life if we have the opportunities like what black outside is doing if i could been flown out to colorado when i was young i would have done that you know right so right that's so real that idea of agency right like providing our youth with experiences where they can tap into agency and mm-hmm. choice and opt in, you know, that's something we think about a, a lot with our youth too, when we talk to them. And the worst thing that always breaks my heart, which is natural, you know how it is in our community. We get, we get our kids, oh, black people don't go outside. Yeah. Oh no, oh, oh no. And we always have to emphasize, I'm like, don't let anyone tell you what you can or can't do. Like, do not let, especially like our white dominant society, dictate to you what you can and can't do black people have been outside for hundreds of years like don't let not being outside be because oh some white person said you shouldn't be outside or it's like an internal community thing be it be like make that choice because it's your personal choice Mm -hmm. and so that's one thing we try to emphasize and then even within our programming you know this is i think the next level of our programming too it's just we're trying to provide our kids even more agency and choice right it's like okay we're gonna go on a hike where do you want to hike? Where do you want to turn? We can go on this longer hike, which is more flat, or we could try to scale up that hill right together and work together, yeah. which might be more challenging. And so it's fun watching our kids go through that agency process in the outdoors and figure out this is the right outdoor speed for me. And so, you know, I'll name an example. We took kids backpacking <laughs> and, I, you know, about eight of them, we took a group of 14. I think eight of them were like, I did it once and I'm good for the rest <laughs> yeah. of my life. Yeah. Right? But there were another four that were like, yeah, that was tough, but I'll do it again. Right. Exactly. But now they know, you know, mm-hmm. now they know. And that's the thing. I think about how many times going back to that sandbox analogy, right? How many times our kids, our youth are told, you know, this is what you're supposed to do is either athlete, music, mm-hmm. right? All those things, those typical things. Mm-hmm. Now it's like tech, which I'm not against tech. Obviously, we're using it right now, but like so many times are putting our kids in boxes and we're trying to really um, remove borders like physically and literally right uh, for our kids and, and really try to build them up so that they feel more and more agency in the world around them. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, that's dope. Sixth grade camp. I went to one, too, in Michigan. Did you go in the winter or spring or when did you go? What time of year? All I remember is it was rainy and it was cold and they wanted oh. to be out in the mud. And I was like, OK, and I did it and I was here for it, you know. But yeah. I think I in for Ohio, if there wasn't no snow, I think it was fall. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. real I asked that because I went to a sixth grade camp too and I vividly remember it being it was there was like two feet of snow yeah. uh and it was winter and we was out there but we had the best time of our lives yeah. you know up north we used to that so yeah down here our, our kids in Texas they not they not no they're not about that life that hey, snowstorm you, you saw that snowstorm shut down our whole state whole we got state. four inches of snow shut down <laughs> like for a week <laughs> people up um, here in portland can't do it either but i'm just like i'm mad though because you can trying to send these kids into colorado though them Texas <laughs> in july kids? okay <laughs> yeah yeah no we're not going anywhere no in july they're going yeah they're going in july so <laughs> hey, trust me i would not do them. that to them baby <laughs> They're not ready for that. No, no, not at all. If they get up, they get up there in the mountains and that wind hits for the first time, they're going to be like, we done. No, no. no, forget that agency. I'm an agency my way down to this mountain to get in the war. So, no, we would not do that at oh, all. Oh, my so. God. That's yeah, funny. yeah. So, just for context, all the listeners, like, um, Black Outside, uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to reconnect Black youth to the outdoors. And so we do that through uh, culturally relevant programming. Uh, and with that, what we mean by that is we have different programming uh, options as entry points to the outdoors for our youth. Um, one of those uh, opportunities is our year-round program uh, called the Charles Ronchi Bloom Project. That's an outdoor healing justice program for youth of incarcerated families. So that's a ton of fun. They This year, obviously, did a lot of virtual stuff, but they're coming back in person. Uh, and they do a lot of community programming. And also, do they just got back from Big Bend National Park, which was super awesome for them. Uh, we also have a boys program that was supposed to roll out right before COVID. Obviously, we had to put that on pause. So it's now rolling out now. Um, it's called the Brotherhood Summit, uh, and it's evolving into what we call the Brotherhood Collective. And we partner with 100 Black men in our city, uh, which is an organ mentoring organization. And we take our uh, Black boys on like, deep wilderness experiences uh, and really push them uh, to really think about their leadership, their community, and also their lives. So that's also an amazing program that we love. And it's really great. What's powerful about that program is the way we roll it out is we, it's almost a one-to-one -one ratio between adults and kids. And so it's really powerful to watch some of the even adults do these things for the first time. They're like, man, brother, I ain't never set up a tent. And I'm like, you got this. We'll do it together. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they're setting it up with the youth. So that's a really, really awesome opportunity. And then and then there's the historic our baby or uh, baby program Camp Founder Girls. So for context, um, it is America's first historically black summer camp for girls. And it started in our city of San Antonio in 1924. Um, oh, and so damn, really. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty part. wild story. I could tell the quick abbreviated version, but basically there was this woman uh, by the name of Maddie Landry who was uh, at a church, a black church, and she really wanted her girls to experience summer camp or camp or do something like the Girl Scouts type of thing. So she went to the local organization called Camp Fire Girls and she asked them, hey, can we have like a segregated you know, camp version. We ain't trying to integrate. It's 1924 in Texas. Yeah. We want to segregate. Uh, but can we do that with y'all or just like share resources? And they were, of course, it's 1924 in Texas. No. Mm -hmm. So she was like, you know what? I'm going to found my own camp. So that's where the name came from, Camp Founder Girls. So she started in 1924. She was amazing, powerful, dynamic Black woman. She bought land. Her husband was mm -hmm. bi biracial. 
So mm-hmm. she used him to buy land outside mm-hmm. the city. And she bought the land from German immigrants who were really progressive at the time. They were just mm-hmm. coming from uh, the beginning of Nazi Germany. So they came over here and they had a, definitely an empathy and a passion for black folks having escaped, right, a fascist regime. Yeah. So all that to say, they bought land and a lot of those German immigrants would kind of like look after the camp, make sure no one messed with them or anything like that. And the camp ran for over 40 years to the 1960s, served thousands of girls in the city. They had uh, a full campsite with cabins, a dining hall. They were in the local newspaper multiple times. So we have some of those articles still. Uh, and if you go on our website, you could see some of the pictures on one of our pages. So um, unfortunately, when the founder, Matty Landry, passed away, there was really no one to kind of take that program over. Um, so it ended up ceasing operations. They sold the land, um, but they kept the archives at the local church. So I, we heard about it as an organization as Black Outside and asked permission from their family of Maddie Landry and one of the current founder girls, if we could uh, resurrect or revive that program. And of course they were like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that's where our name comes from. So it's beautiful. One of them, we call her Auntie Gaynor. She's, uh, she's one of the women that's still alive today that attended the camp in the 1960s. Hmm. And uh, she comes out to camp every year. So she's coming out this summer on like the third day of camp to talk to our girls. And she about it. Yo, Sam, she is about it. Like, she has a PowerPoint. She don't play. She has a PowerPoint. Look, I, I, like, if you can see on the Zoom, like, literally this. She has one. This is her. She gave this to me. It's a USB drive. She's like, it got all the history on it. Okay. And she already told us. She's like, I'm going to need a presentation booth. I'm going to tell these girls about the history. I can't find the girls. She don't mess around. So we're like, okay, let's block off an hour for auntie. She's She's amazing. She gives all our girls hugs and she really loves Uh, on them and shows them like you're part of this legacy. So um, all that to say, I think a lot about that program. I'm sorry, Bloom Project, all our programs are really proud of, but this program is really unique with the powerful history that it entails. Um, And then also just a a safe space for our young black girls. Right. Mm -hmm. Think about how many of them are told what they can't do mm-hmm. or they're not supposed to do these things or just don't have a safe space, right? And you talked about the mud experience. It's funny. I uh, I was talking with the camp, a predominantly white camp in Arkansas and doing some DEI workshop stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end, this guy walks up to me and he's like, man, I got to tell you something. You were talking about inclusion and, you know, we have this activity called the mud pit, right? And I just can't get my, like the black girls at our camp to get into the mud pit with us. It's like a big camp tradition though. We have everyone going to the mud pit, get muddy, blah, blah, blah. And I, I had to tell them straight, I'm like, man, look, you want more black kids at your camp? Yeah, we want more diversity. Either you're going to have to change that mud pit, right? Or you're going to have to tell the families ahead of time, hey, like just FYI, your kid going to be in a mud pit. I was like, cause you got to understand that girl, she might, her mama might've done her hair, got it all. Exactly. To get uh-uh. I told her, and if she come home with mud in her hair, it's uh-huh. going to be a wrap, right? Or at least have some like caps or hat or something, options, something. you know, so they're not getting yeah. mud in their hair. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. And I, this goes back to Camp Founder Girls, right? Because our program, we are unapologetic about the fact that we center Black youth. We're like, mm-hmm. when we think about programming first, we first think about the Black kids. And we're like, mm-hmm. what is their experiences they're going to be like? From our sunscreen, we only buy Black girl sunscreen all the way down to hair care. We make sure there's plenty of time for their hair to get like uh, to get done in the morning. So when mm-hmm. we're doing certain activities, it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way down to like the songs, chants, and stories that we tell. It's all centered on Blackness, mm-hmm. which is something that's so rare. And I find it so funny. You're going to laugh at this. And definitely, we definitely got chopped about this up. But you know, a lot of white, white 
camps have gotten a little offended because they're like, well, we don't understand. Are you segregating and doing all this? And I'm thinking in my head, like, wait a second. I went on your website. You don't have any pictures of any black kids. Yeah. You've been censoring whiteness and white kids for all the camp's existence, right? You never thought, like, name one time you've told a story about a black person in the outdoors at any of your camps. Exactly, right? So we're unapologetic about the fact that for once, we just want our kids to see themselves in these spaces at camps and want their identities to be centered for once so that they can see that, yes, this is an op- opportunity for me. This is a beach. It's not a sandbox, right? Right, right. Yeah. Right. And I like really, really love both the Camp Founder Girls and the 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 Brotherhood Summit because of the, for me, the idea of being with other young people to to mm-hmm. see yourself in and mm-hmm. to create community around too and to have these kind of like like I said from my experience with going to that camp to have other people around you going through the same maybe initial kind mm-hmm. of situation where you can really fall back on them you know what I mean mm-hmm. um and you feel seen I I when I was looking at your website um I those two stood out to me just for that that reason and like I I love you know co-ed things for right. kids as well but right. to really create a specific sp- experience when they aren't um is is really important um and so I'm I, I'm here for it I love that I'm actually gonna ask you what what was the, the pivot point for you or your entry to birding? Because Probably real quick is. for the audience, right? <laughs> I we reconnected on IG. Yeah. And you know, I had I had been off social media for like five, six years. So I was just started reconnecting with people from college. And all of a sudden I saw these pictures of Sam Burden. I was like, okay, <laughs> she's out there. And then she was, you know, burdened with the whole state of Oregon and doing all this stuff and the podcast. And so <laughs> I was like, dang, okay, she really about it. She yeah. really, really about it. So yeah. I would love to know for you real quick, what was your that like entry point kind of into birding compared to, you know, you had the experience at Owoo and then, you know, I just flashed and blinked six years later and you're doing birding. So yeah. what was that transition like? Yeah, I, I blinked and I was also started doing birding. So, you know, oh. um, I mean, so I actually can go back to Owoo um, and, and, and thank my one of my advisors sally waterhouse hey girl um she when i was heavily in my zoology major she was helping me find internships summer internships back in cleveland um and she was like have you ever thought about doing wildlife rehabilitation and i was like no because i didn't know that was a thing (laughs) i didn't know that was a thing and she was like you know i think essentially she pointed me in that direction because it could get me um kind of hands-on experience with wildlife essentially that will help me get the the experience to then work in zoos right mm-hmm. um that was the angle so I did two summer internships at a wildlife rehabilitation center in Cleveland and Lake Erie Nature and Science Center um mm. which was really do you know it no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just yeah. like, I'm, I'm living vicariously through the story though. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, this sounds amazing. Yeah, it was, it was great. And it, they had a really small center, which meant that I could do a lot. Um, mm. And so the, my boss or my advisor there, um, she really, really let me learn a lot of shit the hard way. I distinctly remember I was like, no, sis, this ain't it. She was like, <laughs> she was like, oh, 
we had a juvenile bald eagle come in and it was mm. in a bank cage, which is like a, a metal cage, right? Right. And she was like, why don't you just go get it? And I was like, no, no. Because Not a bald eagle. A whole ass bald eagle. I'm like, no, because here's why. I had just started like learning how to, to properly like grab these wild ass raptors out of boxes and cages and all oh this stuff gosh. they got sharp talons they will fuck you up like right. red tail hawks are insane and they know exactly what you're about to do before you do and so it's just it's not it's it is exhilarating and i love the feeling before grabbing a a, a raptor i was not fucking with a bald eagle because those those things like their talons are as long as my finger and like i'm I was like, no, I'm good. I'm gonna watch you do it. <laughs> um, but then fast forward to, so I did those um, and then graduated, went through my life experience when my dad has had his accident. And then I ended up in Portland, Oregon. And I was like, mm. you know, I really, really miss doing wildlife rehab. And so Portland Audubon out here had a volunteer program at their wildlife ha- uh, rehab center. And so I started there this is where I just started getting into birds, like, like knowing bird species, being able to Mm -hmm. tell who is who, um, baby birds, all of this stuff. Um, but it was, I still at this point did not know that birding, like going out with binoculars and looking at them was a thing. Didn't know, Mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, and so two things fast forward to my time work and so I was a volunteer and then I started um actually getting paid I was a paid position there for like two years I was there for three years altogether and mm. um my little scared ass trying to grab this juvenile bald eagle in this cage <laughs> in Ohio now they got me out here in the field grabbing them out in the field Ooh. when they're injured and that is like oh oh my god I love it I miss it is my favorite thing is to rescue from the field um Mm. especially bald eagles because it's something it sucks to see them injured but it's something about being able to help them especially get them released you know it's really sad when they don't go back out it's really sad they're one of my favorite birds but so that got me into birds and then when I was started as a staff member at Portland Audubon. I started, you know, making friends with people who worked there and they were like, oh, we're going to go birding. And I was like, the f- what the fuck is that? Right. <laughs> you going to sit on a bench and like feed the ducks? What you mean? Like, you know, it's because like my, my connotation of birding was literally old people sitting on a bench, like looking mm. at the birds in the park, you know? Yeah. Um, it didn't sound <laughs> fun. And so I went and I, again, like bald eagles, I love bald eagles. They're like, one of my favorite birds are just such a powerful bird. Um, yeah. But the first time that I officially went birding, um, I was with a group of white people. That's fine. A lot of them are my friends. Hey, y'all. Um, <laughs> but I had this moment where this this bald eagle is like booking it across this, this pond, just skimming the pond after this mallard. And that mallard was fucking toast you know and I just was like wow so then I started to like understand them out in their element versus Mm. seeing them injured and ill Mm. not in their element 
Um, and that was a wrap for me. I had so much fun and I had fun with the people that I went with. Um, and it just, it brought me a lot of joy, um, especially mm. during a time in my life out here where I wasn't, I was not in my joy. And a lot of it is because of like my dad's accident and like mm. just trauma. And so mm. at the same time that I found birding, I actually started getting into therapy. Um, mm. And so <laughs> I, I'm here for therapy. Everybody going to therapy, especially Ooh, so, black yeah. folk. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so yeah. And then, and then, and then I got promoted, I guess is the right word to doing avian training for their education birds there and so mm. which was okay if I went to Obu for zoology and I wanted to work like that in the zoo that's what you mm. do in the zoo is yeah. you train a lot of training um that was my dream job right and it was fucking wrecked Bailey by racism and sexism and oh the way that nonprofits work like I'm yeah it just was ruined and I had to make like long story we can we can chop it up about this later but like for a podcast a lot of people have heard this story on my episode right. so um for brevity uh I had to make a choice to walk away from my dream job which had me fucked up um mm. and I was again in a lot of trauma talking about it in mm. therapy and I decided I was like you know what I really love birding it brings me joy it's super racist to go enjoy birds and it's not dang, it's not safe to be outside, especially in Oregon. Uh, my experience uh, leaving my dream job at Audubon, all of this stuff then kind of uh, always be burden was born from that so that I could hone all of my anger and sadness into something positive. Mm. So now I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the story. Wow, that's powerful. And I think what really touched me and resonated with me, think about our whole discussion today is how you talked about your entry point of birding was seeing a bird being so joyful, right? Yeah. Seeing a bird being so liberated, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think about how many times for us collectively as Black folks, and especially our Black youth coming into predominantly potentially white spaces, how much people try to hone in on our trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, like, there's the bad things that happen to you. Oh, we'll give you a scholarship to come to our camp. Oh, like, poor thing versus mm -hmm. tapping into what does it mean for Black joy? Like, we love your Blackness and we want to, like, amplify the joy that you have, right? And see that in action. That's powerful. That's so powerful. And the idea that, like, birds don't believe in borders, right? They fly, <laughs> be flying all over Central America, you know, all the way up to the U.S., back down, all that stuff. And, like, mm -hmm. how liberating that is and how many times, going back to that sandbox, right, we just put borders, confines upon ourselves. That was deep. That was a word. <laughs> I was, like, getting ready to start writing notes. That was powerful. <laughs> yeah. That was powerful. Um, and, I, and I must add, too, just for the audience, I got to say, y'all birders, I, I, I joke with Sam all the time. Hey, y'all militant. Like, y'all <laughs> you know, about it. I'll yeah. never forget when the Black Burners reached out to me. I was like, yo, this email, y'all really, y'all really about it. Yeah. Y'all, y'all, yeah. Martin, y'all past Martin, y'all Malcolm. Like, like, we want freedom, but it makes you think how much, why that is with weaving your story. It all makes sense. You're watching mm -hmm. birds all day. You're seeing the liberation, the freedom that they have. 
why don't our kids, why don't our people collectively, our communities have that same liberation of freedom, especially in the outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. We're so restricted by racism, sexism, you know, xenophobia, you know, classism, all the isms, homophobia, all those things that restrict Black folks collectively uh, from outdoor spaces. So Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. like, when I was dying because I want to put it, I want to put that on a sticker because just like... <laughs> militant birder you know what I mean 100% yeah. I want to put that on a sticker because I agree with you 100% because like again like black birders week is happening again um mm. so between last year's black birders week which opened my whole horizon to people um and organizations and right. just like people doing these amazing things as mm -hmm. black people black women and people of color that people aren't joking and i think it, it you're right it comes from the this amount of joy that we all get from going out and doing something as simple as looking at a bird mm -hmm. um and really really realizing because it's such a small it's a niche thing and mm -hmm. There's a hyper awareness, I think, for us when we're out there, who we're with, how it's happening, um, how uh, how birds are labeled. Mm -hmm. um, listen to my Starling episode if you want to know more on that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's I keep saying this because I actually really do feel this. I think that the birding, the world of birding actually has a chance to set an example for how to take down a system of racism. Mm. Ooh. I really do because it there's a lot of momentum like mm -hmm. National Audubon Society if you don't know is like they're unionizing there and a, and and their their CEO person stepped down because of a lot of racism and all this stuff mm -hmm. which is a big thing cuz normally they don't step down um, and so there's just actually traction and movement that I feel like there, there's, there's a whole ass, um, group of people trying to rename honorific birds. So birds that are named after white people and mm. like these, usually these white people are slave owners, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like really co like colonialism, like bad, bad, bad people. Mm -hmm. And that we shouldn't be honoring them through birds because why? 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 And why? it's not and 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 the big thing is is like saying Stellar's J doesn't tell you as a non-birder, not that that means anything, Bailey, because you are a birder. Because you've been going out. I know. Um, I know. I got I ain't got <laughs> binoculars yet, but I, I got a homie here that takes me. That's so. all right. Y'all don't even need binoculars. Right. But for somebody who's new, when you hear Stellar's J, you don't even know what descriptive thing that mm. means, right? So it's not helpful for the world of birds or, or, or ornithology or anything like that to know that Stellar's J um when you hear that you don't know what to look for right anyway yeah so I think there's just a lot of things and I do think that there's a chance for us to really really examine why birding is the way that it is right now it has huge racist roots and and really talk about that understand it and then change it because changes are actually happening so I'm here for it yeah I'll, that's that's deep that's deep <laughs> and I do want to as we kind of wind down I know we're getting towards the end just name tying all this to birding uh, since we kind of talked about all the other stuff, but you know, even myself, I had to check myself as a leader about even my whole analogy about the sandbox and the beach and just the freedom of birding. 
Um, when we first took our kids birding, it was actually the initial activity was just to take our kids kayaking down the San Antonio River uh, through the Bloom Project. And the park superintendent, really awesome guy, was like, hey, I got some binoculars, like, because we can only have one group go at once. You should just take the kids out, like, around birding. I have the whole little diagram book and just see how many birds they can look for. It will just help us kind of, you know, group group monitor the kids. Mm-hmm. So, like, half will kayak, half can bird, and then we'll switch. So, we gave them the binoculars, and, yo, our kids ate it up. Like, I, I was kind of worried. I was like, I don't know if they're going to like this. I don't know. You know, I was just like, I, just, I was like, I just don't know if this is going to be as invigorating for a 14 or 15 year old and I was just shocked that they were into it like you know you'll go on our if you go on our Instagram page you'll see a, a famous kind of picture that went around during Black Birders Week of one of our youth and he's looking up and you can see his waves right mm-hmm. as he's looking up into the birds and like it's such a powerful picture and he was so connected and loved it and ate it up and I thought about it myself like why am I restricting our kids from this activity you never know if they're gonna like it and it was one of their favorite things to do so um yeah you're right I, this 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 discussion has really made me think a lot about what birding symbolizes, right? And the freedom and liberation that it symbolizes, right? And the liberation that, you know, we collectively as Black folks are, are hoping for and desiring. We think about like the future, Afrofuturism and all of that. That's what we hope for even in our programming that our spaces are liber- our spaces of liberation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why, I, that's why I love getting people on because these conversations are so much deeper than than the trauma like you're saying um mm-hmm. you know we i'm not here for people to consume my friends and their mm-hmm. and their experiences you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and this conversation is helping both of us as people of color as black folks for our individual projects right and anybody mm-hmm. else bipoc people out here listening like it's it's we are doing it we're out here right here. Your organization, Black Outside, is just like so great. I do want to put your socials up there. So the website, so everybody can go to is blackoutside.org. Um, yep. out, look at the pictures. Look at all of the individual programming. If you're in Texas and you're listening, um, get your kid in there. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, what's your, what's the, um, is it just Black Outside on Instagram? Yeah, just add Blackout Side Inc. Uh, right okay. when you type in Blackout, it'll probably pop up right away. It does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you can follow on our page. You'll see under our handle. It'll have links to our other pages, the Camp Founder Girls and the Bloom Project. Uh, the Brotherhood Group, we're going to get an idea. That's a 2022 project, right? Okay. <laughs> right now, we're starting small and just getting our kids out there. So, Definitely. yeah, thank you. Do I get a final shout out? Yeah, who are you shouting out? Okay. Uh, I'm not even trying to be cheesy with this. I'm being 100% real. I, You know, I think wow like think about a year ago what was happening in our country I, I, too many times people say our world i'm like no this is a u.s problem mm-hmm. right like anti-blackness is, ev- is everywhere but mm-hmm. the way anti-blackness manifests in violent ways in the u.s is a u.s problem right um and you know organizing around the murder of ahmaud Aubrey and you know the awareness around Beyonce taylor and all that i just gotta shout out you know i think about the last 365 days and what honestly like collectively black women have done for our community, you know, Mm -hmm. like real talk, Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, just like even locally, like the two organizers for Black Lives Matter were Black women, right, who who really just put themselves out there, you know, like from like a physical standpoint, a mental health standpoint, it was a lot to take on and really organize and rally so much. So that's the biggest shout out that I've been thinking about, too, is just even in my role as a Black male, how can I position myself to better uplift and shout out Black women, 
because uh, it was over the last year that I, my eyes have also been opened up like, dang, us brothers, we got to really, we behind a little bit. We got to step up to the plate. Yeah. And then also <laughs> just like, you know, the idea too, I've been thinking a lot about making space and taking space, right? Like making space for especially Black women, Black voices like yourself that are really so inspiring. Um, and then taking space when needed as Black men to be like, yo, we need to step up to the plate right now and advocate, you know, for our sisters, right? And mm-hmm. advocate for, uh, you know, trans folks advocate for all black folks uh, in this work. So yeah. I just want to shout out like amazing black women like yourself, Thank our executive you. director, Angelica, mm-hmm. our uh, other program director, Kimber Thompson, and so many other black women that are leading amazing programs across the country, just trying to connect our black youth to the outdoors and also organizing in the community to seek black liberation. So, yes, yeah. Yes. And I, I want to, I want to uh, piggyback off of that and say, yeah. Uh, also shout out uh, all the Black women birders that I've met through Black Birders Week. Yeah. I want to take this moment too to then plug to go to my coffee shop, um, buymeacoffee.com <laughs> backslash always be burdened so that yeah. you so that I can pay them and donate so that I can continue to pay everybody, but really be able to to make that shit equitable um, where it's where it's necessary. And so go ahead, go ahead, do that. Uh, Bailey, Alex Bailey. I'm so glad that we had a chance to catch up. We'll catch up more. Um, thank you so much for being on here and talking about your wonderful organization. I'm proud of you. You're doing oh, it. Thanks. Yeah. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. And remember, you can always be burdened. I'm Orieta Estrada. I'm Taiki James. We are the co-founders of Amplify the Future and the co-chairs of the Black and Latin Experter Scholarship Fund. And we have a special announcement for you. I need the attention of all Black and Latinx folks with the love for birds. If you're currently a full-time undergraduate student and you live in or attend a college or university in the United States of Puerto Rico, you should apply today to the Black and Latinx Birder Scholarship at AmplifyTheFuture.org. June 18th is the deadline, and it's right around the corner. But... We're offering an extension to those who need a little extra time to get in their supporting documentation. That deadline is July 18th. This is what we're asking for. A two-page essay, two-minute video, or even a good Twitter thread. We have at least three scholarships to give this year. The Burden community wants to support you. Just let us know you and how you plan to help your Burden communities. This is open to undergraduates 18 years and older. This isn't just a scholarship for younger students. Higher ed happens at any age. To see specific rules and apply, please go to AmplifyTheFuture.org. That's AmplifyTheFuture.org. Have questions? Email hello at AmplifyTheFuture.org. Or follow us on social media at Birders Fun. Not a potential applicant, but want to support us? Visit AmplifyTheFuture.org. We can't wait to hear from you.